Welcome to the Thomas Industry Update podcast, actionable information for industry leaders. I'm Tony Uphoff. Effective supply chain management is a critical component to the reliable functionality of industry and one that changes almost constantly as factors like tariffs, international relations, and even natural disasters shift the dynamics of the supply chain, often without warning, industrial business leaders strive to stay ahead of the curve by examining data, communicating effectively, and hiring and retaining key supply chain management talent. To discuss these supply chain dynamics in the current industrial landscape, I'm joined today by Rob Hanfield, a distinguished professor of supply chain management at North Carolina State's Poole College of Management and the founder and executive director of the Supply Chain Resource Cooperative. The SCRC is an industry university partnership dedicated to advancing supply chain management by connecting Fortune 500 businesses with future supply chain managers for a uniquely hands-on learning experience. I want to start off with a question that may seem a little funny uh, in context, but if you're at a cocktail party, you're meeting somebody for the first time and you explain what you do and you use the term supply chain management, what response do you get? And then how do you actually explain to a novice what supply chain management's really about? Yeah, that's a funny question. And I, I get that question all the time. You know, what is it that you do? And I say, well, you know, I've been teaching and doing research in the world of supply chain for about 30 years. And they were like, and the typical response is, well, supply chain, that has to do with uh, logistics and operations research, doesn't it? I mean, that's the typical response. And I usually follow it up with, no, it's actually about, you know, managing interorganizational relationships and often involves multiple enterprises. And when we first started talking about this years ago, you know, we wrote a, one of the first books on supply chain management, Introduction to Supply Chain Management. And in that book, we talked about three critical flows, obviously the physical flows of material going, you know, up and down in the supply chain, generally from suppliers to manufacturers to distributors to customers. The information flows that go back and forth between the parties, which includes the financial flows of payment back through the supply chain. And the third component is what I call relationship flows. And relationships are really important. Relationships, I think, are often overlooked as the glue that holds supply chains together. But uh, I think we're seeing this more and more that relationships do matter. So those are the kinds of things I talk to you about. And by that time, I've probably put them asleep because not everyone's always you know all that excited about this stuff as I am. I love your description, Rob, including putting people to sleep. But I, I love your description because you and I were talking before we got started. We oftentimes look at three areas that we think are in an interesting way somewhat converging, which is you know the digital supply chain, the financial supply chain, and the physical supply chain. You're adding an interesting dimension there on the relationship. I think that's a really fascinating angle to this. In business to business, we rarely use the relationship term as much as we should because businesses are always about relationships. Talk a little bit about how people should understand that side of the supply chain. When I talk about a relationship, it's obviously not in the person-to-person situation, although person-to-person relationships are key. But I think it, it's really about collaboration and about trust. And to me, trust is a term that designates a series of small promises kept. So when you first start working with another party, whether it's a supplier or a distributor, you know, you set up 
performance expectations. You write a statement of work, you write an SLA, you body that in a contract. And over time, you know, that relationship evolves. And, you know, relationships have to be managed. You have to set forth what performance measures are expected. You have to review those performance measures, sometimes using a scorecard. And the more often you do that, generally quarterly, you know, you have quarterly business reviews. You go over what's going right, what's going wrong, and what can we fix. And I think it's that piece of doing what you say you're going to do over time, which builds that close relationship. I can tell you, you know, in in numerous instances that I've worked on, where you see those people go away, where you see company goes in and cuts all of the customer relationship managers, for instance, the customers don't like that. They, They want to know the person that they're working with at that organization. And I've seen it really impact business as well. So really, I think that's what we mean by relationships. It's collaboration and, and finding ways to fix things when they go wrong, but also finding ways to continuously improve performance and take costs out of the supply chain, of, you know, drive innovation, drive new technology, and work together in a mutually beneficial relationship. That's really the key in my mind about what makes these supply chains really work well. Yeah, really well said. And Rob, let me ask you something. If you think about from your 30 years of experience being a part of the supply chain understanding and you know writing books about it, when a supply chain fails, do you see a pattern oftentimes of the areas that you just mentioned, what breaks down? Yeah, when there's a disruption, you know, there's something unexpected that happens. And it could be weather related, it could be performance related, it could be just the market has changed or costs have gone up or down in, in commodities, or like we're seeing today, you know, with the Trump administration, tariffs are put in place. So when that happens, both parties have to put their heads together and say, what are we going to do about this? Because, you know, very often these types of events are not covered in contracts. You can't write down in a contract every possible event or disruption that can occur. So what it often involves is sitting down and saying, what can we do to address the situation, to mitigate it, to potentially solve the problem? And then when we solve the problem, maybe be able to act quickly and find alternatives. And I think when you see disruptions, one of the key indicators of a well-managed disruption is early warning. So you know, we were looking at how organizations like Resolink and others are developing systems to provide early warning of disruptions, you know, whether it's a storm or a hurricane or, or a flood. And the quicker that you can get on that problem, talk to suppliers in that region, determine if they've been affected, determine what the impact is going to be. You know, you can take a multi-million dollar disruption and turn it around and make it a $100,000 disruption. And I think that's the key is, is trying to mitigate and minimize damages under, under those conditions. You brought up something that we wanted to, to ask you about is the impact of the tariffs. And, you know, I think boy, every day we're reading something perhaps new or contradictory, and it's hard to kind of keep a sense of equilibrium and anticipate it. But how do you view the impact that the tariffs are having uh, on, on supply chain management today? And can you speak to some of the, the outcomes you're starting to see as a result of the tariffs? Absolutely. So one of the things I think that we're, we're seeing, this is sort of my personal opinion, and and we have an industry meeting at our supply chain resource cooperative, and the title of the session is Tariffs and Trade Wars, the New Normal. And that kind of reflects my own views that, you know, I don't think that these tariffs are a flash in the pan. I think that there are people who are recognizing that they are going to be here for a long time, and they're not going to go away. When you start thinking of it in those terms, then, you know, the, the Trump tariffs are really just the tip of the iceberg. And I believe what we're going to see over the longer term is a period of increased trade wars between different regions. I think we're going to see trade blocks 
starting to emerge. Maybe the uh, the U.S., Canada, and Mexico will start to emerge as a trading block. Maybe Europe and Eastern Europe and possibly Britain. Who knows? We'll see that in January. But then also, you know, Asia, China, and and other places. And so I, I think I think that we're starting to see this. You know, organizations today are are responding in a number of different ways to the tariffs. There are those that are treading water and hoping that it it goes away, which which I don't think is a very good strategy. We're seeing others that are sort of taking short-term, I would say, sort of tactical actions. One company, you know, went ahead and developed a free trade zone, so they're importing steel. And then once it's in the free trade zone, they're petitioning the Department of Commerce to try to get an exception so they, they can use it. But there's others that are actually in the process of relocating their supply base. So a few are relocating to places like Vietnam and, and Indonesia. But what we're finding there is those places are full and, and the logistics are, are difficult in those regions as well. So others are saying, hey, maybe we need to really rethink this. Maybe we need to be you know, looking at the total cost of ownership of bringing suppliers closer to us in Mexico or even back to the United States and maybe looking at what are we paying in terms of transportation and working capital for the long lead times from Asia. And maybe there's other benefits that we're not aware of by having them more local. And I think that's where the relationship piece also comes into play, tying it all together. It's hard to have a relationship with people that are halfway around the world that speak a completely different language. So there may be some shifts here that we're going to be seeing. Somewhat of a tangent here, Rob, but we're we're in an era where we talk a lot about the skills shortage, finding the right kind of talent to fulfill the jobs across our industry. And supply chain management is not an exception there. Where do you see, what's the keys to finding and then retaining supply chain talent today? I think that what people are looking for more than anything, young people today, is they're looking for opportunities where they can learn. And I think those are great characteristics and great qualities of a supply chain manager is is you want to look for people that are naturally curious, you know, that want to learn, that want to dive in. And we talk to our board of advisors at our supply chain cooperative, and we ask them, you know, what are you looking for in, in our students? And they say, well, you know, we're looking for people who you have to be analytical, you have to work with data sets, you have to be able to solve problems, you have to be able to work in teams, and you have to be able to communicate. So that's what we've done at, at our supply chain cooperative is we've developed projects where students will actually learn how to do these very things through uh, real projects that they're working on with companies. And people ask us, well, how do we retain them? Well, I think the number one thing you can do is mentorship, you know, engaging people, finding, you find them through through collaboration with universities. More and more universities have opportunities to do just that, to, to meet with students and talk to them. And then uh, once you hire them, put them into roles that will challenge them, put them into roles where they have to solve problems and they have to meet with different teams and they have to be able to deal with people. And I think that's really what people are excited for today is they want to be in roles where they can learn, where they're challenged and where they're working on different things. That's not to say that every every student has to have that. And certainly, you know, we, we face challenges with students who maybe are, are never going to be happy. And, and, you know, you want to try to avoid those situations. You can't keep everybody, but you can keep the good ones by keeping them and, and giving them opportunity to learn. You know, you, you brought up the Supply Chain Resource Cooperative, and, and this is really a very unique educational environment. Talk a little bit about what inspired you to, to help establish this unique educational environment, and then tell us a little bit about some of the impact, because I think you're coming up on the 20th anniversary. I think this year is actually the 20th anniversary of the cooperative. 
That's right, it is. It's our 20th anniversary, and I've been uh, doing it for 20 years, which is incredible. I can't, I can't believe how quickly the time goes by. When I came here 20 years ago, I was at Michigan State, and we, we were doing a lot of benchmarking around procurement. And when I came to NC State, I said, you know, the one thing that people complain about is talent. They just can't get the right people. And I thought, you know, what if we were to bring together the faculty, industry partners, and students to learn through doing? And, and that's really the motto of NC State is think and do. And I was inspired by the words of Peter Drucker, you know, one of the great management gurus of our time. And he said, you know, business schools needed to be more like medical schools, where in a medical school, the physician and the student will, will operate and learn on the patient. And if you can't bring the student to the patient, you bring the patient to the classroom. And that's really what we've tried to do is we try to engage with our supply chain partners across multiple industries. And every semester, we do upwards of 20 to 25 projects with both undergraduate and MBA student teams. And what we do is we assign faculty mentors. Uh, these are retired supply chain executives who really want to give back and they, they want to work with young people. And we assign them to these teams and they work with the teams and really help them you know, scale the problem and scope it and help them analyze the data and help them with their communication skills. And these are the ways that people learn. People learn by engaging and working on actual problems. And not every project is going to be successful, but every project people are learning about what it takes to work on a team on a supply chain problem. That is a beautiful metaphor for you to be able to explain the, the power of the model that uh, you all have developed. You are a prolific writer as well, an author. Your most recent book uh, is called The Living Supply Chain, The Evolving Imperative of Operating in Real Time. And I believe, Rob and Taka, do you have another one coming not long after that? Implying the supply chain is always evolving. Talk a little bit about the living supply chain and, and what's the latest supply chain advancement that our audience of industrial professionals should be anticipating? I think the thing that inspired the living supply chain is, is I went to go see Tom Linton at company. He was at Flex, which is in Milpitas, California. And he said to me, Rob, you have to come in and, and see the pulse. I go, okay, well, what, what's the pulse? So he brought me in into this uh, room uh, that was filled with big screen TV uh, screens everywhere. And on these screens, you could see basically Flex's entire supply chain of 170 factories. And you could see the, everything that was going on in these factories, all the inbound materials, the outbound materials, the inventory levels. You could drill down on any factory and see what was going on. And the beauty of it was it wasn't just in a control tower setting in a room in Milpitas. It was being blown out to all of the cell phones of every major employee and partner in Flex's supply chain. So the net effect of that was that you could see what was going on in your supply chain on your mobile phone in real time. And you could be alerted to when there were problems. Uh, you could quickly collaborate with people. You'd all be looking at the same data together and you'd be solving problems using both human intelligence and technology to view the data associated with what was going on, whether it was a disruption or a late delivery or a customer issue or you know, an inventory overstock. And the power of that is combining technology and human brains to really solve problems in real time. And I think that's the future of where I see supply chains going. And, and interestingly enough, no one has really replicated that pulse. Uh, it was developed about four or five years ago. And uh, the key to it, in my mind, is not having all of the data, but knowing what the key data is that you need to have and to be able to monitor that data in real time. 
I want to go out and visit Flex. I want to see this. That's amazing. I think one of the things I would emphasize, Rob, is your point about, I'll paraphrase, but metrics that matter. In this era of data is the new oil, we find ourselves seeing a lot of companies and, and many companies we work with that are just now starting to track data and they kind of allow themselves to get overwhelmed by so many data elements. And it, it can be difficult to shift into a mode of what's actually the most actionable data that we can take in in real time that's going to allow us to allocate resources, react to market trends or other things that are going on out there. I, th I think that focus on you don't have to capture every data element, just the ones that matter the most, I think is a really key part of something like that. Yeah, I would agree. And I, you know, I, I hear this a lot as well. I go to go to conferences and you hear about executives kind of whining about, oh, I'm being overwhelmed with data. Well, that's something that you need to do something about, right? And, yeah. and I think, you know, it begins with a very simple issue, which is what is the problem you're trying to solve? What is the question? What is your hypothesis? What is the metric that drives your supply chain performance that's linked to the business issue that you're trying to solve? I think if you start with that question, you can very quickly narrow down the kinds of information you need, the kinds of metrics you need, and then it's a matter of saying, well, where do we go out and, and pull those metrics and pull the data, uh, creating a data lake that only pulls the data you need through these APIs to make sure that they're cleansed and that it's quality data. And once you have that, you can actually use it to drive uh, metrics that matter and be able to act in real time to issues as they're arising. One more question for you, Rob, and then we always ask all of our guests the same two closing questions. So my one specific question for you, you've said in past interviews that you really feel collaboration is the key to success and whether that's drawing successful conclusions from research projects or you know taking successful steps towards things like sustainability. Talk a little bit more about why you focus on collaboration as being such an important dynamic, it, it particularly obviously in the markets we're talking about in these industrial applications. Well, in industrial applications, you know, I think in particular, there's often technical problems or issues. There may be issues related to quality, to delivery. You know, there may be new technologies that you're not aware of. And in my mind, you know, the best ideas always come when you put two people together and they start talking in an informal manner. And whether it's putting an engineer from a supplier and a buyer together and having them share ideas, you know, that's how innovation occurs. And I've seen it time and again that, you know, you can't do it alone. You, you have to work with your supply chain partners to solve problems. Suppliers know more about the technology than you do, and they know more about their product and process than you do, and they have ideas that can help you to take cost out, to improve delivery, to improve performance, to help drive maybe a new product idea. That's where the ideas occur, is very often it's with the smaller suppliers in this country, not the BMOs that are out there. And, you know, if you're talking about any industry today, I believe is, is ripe for collaboration and, and organizations that go out, particularly procurement organizations that go out to beat up suppliers on price in the end doesn't pay. And I've seen it time and again where collaboration always will yield better savings opportunities, better cost savings opportunities, better performance opportunities when you're working with people instead of against them, instead of a, an arm's length kind of beat them up type of mentality. So it's something that I personally believe in and I think it will continue to uh, occur, but I know it's difficult because the mindset, particularly in a lot of procurement organizations, is very much about driving 
cost savings above all and doing it by putting more and more bids out and pitting suppliers against one another. Yeah, it's so true, Robin, and really nicely articulated too. I think in the wrong hands, the idea of collaboration feels like, you know, some kumbaya thing that we should all just get together and, and collaborate. There's a very tangible and direct impact on um, both the revenue growth and or the cost synergies of your business when you collaborate the right way. Beautifully articulated. What's the one thing that you wish more people understood about manufacturing? You know, manufacturing is core to the economy. It's a core part of our economy. It's, a, it's where value is created. I think we're also seeing, you know, a shift and people are saying, well, manufacturing is all done overseas now. And it's not. I think that's a misconception. And I think we will see and start to see manufacturing occurring for low volume, customized kinds of products and materials. I think that's something we're likely to see. And I think we will see it more in the future. In fact, I know we will. But I think it, it's a core part. And people sometimes think that there's something blue collar or lower class about manufacturing. Manufacturing is the core of what the U.S. was built on. It's the core of what we do. And I think for me, I I like to see more people gravitate to that career. It's an exciting career. You walk away and you feel at the end of the day that you've produced something tangible. And I think most people would, would really benefit from those kinds of career opportunities if they started to look at them more. Absolutely. So our last question for you, if you could put one sentence on a billboard that best expresses your personal philosophy, what would it say? I think it would be keep learning. You know, it's that simple. I've never stopped learning. And I think something that you do throughout your career, and I would urge people to continually be curious and keep learning. To me, that's the key to, that's the key to life is is continually learning and finding new ways and new information and, and new things about the world around you. To learn more about the Supply Chain Resource Cooperative or to check out Rob's latest book, links are provided in the show notes of today's podcast. The Thomas Industry Update podcast is hosted by Tony Uphoff and produced by Michaela Tierney. If you'd like to share your feedback about this or any other episode, please email us at podcast at thomasnet.com. If you enjoyed today's podcast, please take a moment to subscribe and rate us on iTunes or recommend us to a colleague. Your feedback helps us continue to advocate for industry across the airwaves. Want to get more insights on supply chain, IoT, industrial business, and more? Sign up for our Thomas Industry Update daily newsletter. With more than 300,000 subscribers, your inbox will be in good company. Subscribe now for free at thomasnet.com updates.